Welcome to the Art of Unraveling podcast. My name is Erin McGuire, and I'm an empowerment coach and guide here to empower you into feeling completely worthy of a business and life that you love. This podcast is the place to learn how to unravel anything keeping you from that abundant, beautiful life that you so deserve. Nothing is off limits here as we navigate life through psychology, science, and spirit. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of The Art of Unraveling. I am so thrilled to be here today with my cousin, Kirsten McGuire, and she has boldly decided to do an unraveling interview with me, and I'm really thrilled um, because she brings so much wisdom for her age, and uh, I think you all will just love getting to know her. So welcome, Kirsten. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. I feel like I should start off by asking your guests or your listeners um, if they think that our voices sound similar, because I don't know if you recall, but back in the day, um, we would have to introduce ourselves to grandma or I would on the phone. Oh, yes. You would just think, is this Karen? I think she even called me Kirsten a lot too. Same. She called me Erin all the time. That's so funny. Okay. Yeah. So let us know. I, now I'm curious because I forgot about that. I don't know if you really sound that similar, but I can maybe make when I was younger. It, but it's hard when you, it's hard to like hear, you can hear your own voice, but I don't really know what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. We'll have to, you and I will have to go back and listen to this episode too. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, do you want to introduce yourself in any way, Kirsten? I mean, like, what do you want to tell us about yourself, if anything? Oh, well, um, I am. I'm a nurse. I am from rural Iowa as well, from a small town in Iowa, grew up nearby, um, where you grew up, close to my grandma and got to spend quite a bit of time with her as well growing up. So that was fun. and. Um, you know, kind of stayed in the area. I lived in Ames and went to Iowa State to start. And then I actually moved to North Carolina for about a year when I was 22. And then I moved back to Iowa when I decided to go to nursing school. So I've had a little bit of experience kind of leaving and coming back, not for as long as you did, but yeah, interesting experience. It's always unreal. Yeah, like that time of your life is probably like a blip in. Yeah, I don't know if that's how it felt when you when you look back on your time living away. I mean, years was obviously a longer period of time, but it's just like, gosh, it feels surreal and it feels kind of like a movie in a way. Yeah, it feels like a very long time ago or like it didn't exist. (laughs) Yeah, it feels fake. Remind myself. Mm hmm. Well, I'm so happy that you're here. And so let's say, let's, so Kirsten's dad is my uncle. My mom and her dad are brother and sisters. Um, I love my uncles dearly. (laughs) (laughs) They're very special individuals. So if you know Uncle Joe or Joe McGuire, then you know, you know. (laughs) 
No. So, you got to feel for your mom, though, because she had four little brothers. Yeah, exactly. And as each of the brothers likes to say, they are always jealous of their sister because she got to have four brothers and they <laughs> only got to have three. Right. I don't think she would have the same sentiment. I, but... I don't think so. <laughs> um, so, as you all know, this is the Art of Unraveling podcast. And so when we bring a guest on, it's always about what that person is unraveling in their life. Um, it could be something from the past, but most people usually, I mean, we're living our lives, right? So it's like, there's always something up for us. And I think it's just a good moment to just share that, like, I know I've said this on the podcast before, but like the work is never done. There is no there. Even Abraham Hicks says that there's no there. And, you know, they say like, the there is when you die. Like it, the work is done when you die. So as long as we're in human form on planet earth, we're doing some sort of work of unraveling something just so we can elevate ourselves to that next elevation, whatever that looks like. So I just like to share that. Cause I don't want people to think that, Oh gosh, I'm unraveling something. And like, I'm not where this person is, or I'm not as, you know, in a, in a good place right now. Like that, maybe that place doesn't exist. Like there's always going to be something. It's just how you, how are you managing it all? There was a great quote. Sorry, Kirsten. No, <laughs> totally, no, I love You're totally getting to your, what was this quote though? I just loved it. Ah, totally just found it. Mental health is not the absence of feeling. Let's also say it's not the absence of unraveling. It is how am I relating to these feelings? How am I relating to this unraveling, right? Uh, and I freaking love that because it's saying there is no there. There is no perfection. There is no, when I stop doing X, Y, Z, then I'll have made it. Then I'll be enlightened. Then I'll be a better person or whatever your brain likes to tell you. That doesn't exist. So anyway, I just wanted to say that for everybody because I think it's just, I can't hear that enough because I have that perfectionist part that goes, Oh, you're still dealing with people pleasing, Erin? Mm, yeah. You haven't made it yet. <laughs> it's like such a lie. So with that, with that little intro, um, what feels like you're unraveling right now? What are you working through on, et cetera? Oh, I just have to laugh about that because I can't hear that enough either. I'm reminding myself that constantly. <clears throat> and it, it does right now. It feels really hard because uh, I felt oddly, and I maybe you've talked about that you felt this way as well, but um, when the pandemic happened and began, I had actually, I don't know if it was in the midst of that, that I had started 21 day healing your 21 day healing program maybe yeah I and started that right after it, the shutdown. Yeah, like, yeah right in the middle of the shutdown and I felt better than I've ever felt mm. for most of 2020 and maybe it's just because I did not have the triggers I think that's probably what it was that's probably a big part of it yeah so I find myself now having difficulty thinking about, oh, why are things so hard now? And 
beating myself up um, about having a harder time, especially this past year or so. But it's just kind of like, um, as I go through, I mean, the whole point of our lives is to be kind of triggered by experiences or other people in our lives so that we can realize what, what are the things that I need to continue to work on to be that better person? Because how do we grow in this life if we just live in solitude and don't ever realize what our potential is or what, um, what ways we could grow and be better. So I have to remind myself a lot that, um, when I don't feel my best or I feel like, Oh no, I, I didn't, I didn't show up the way I wanted to with that. Um, which obviously as a nurse, I, I come across people every single day. There's conversations that happen every single day with people who are maybe going through some of the hardest things in their lives. And I will never always be perfect in those situations, but in being faced with those moments, I can be reminded of how I can be better next time. Right. Just being really easy on myself. And that's really hard because as a people pleaser, as a perfectionist, as somebody who, um, I grew up in a similar kind of childhood situation. Um, just being that really, I think that we become these very, and maybe we don't always, but I think that when you grow up in a traumatic kind of household, um, or life, which I'm sure really the majority of us do, to be honest, if I think about it, but Um, you just become very hyper aware of everybody's emotions and feelings. And what I have come to realize recently is like my hypervigilance with this has led me to maybe not be as conscious of my own experiences and my own feelings. And so right now I'm in a place of really trying to figure out even the next small step I can take to begin to understand myself. Mm. And it's really interesting because in 2020, I felt like I had this really good understanding of who I was and I'm feeling like I am fully just raveled and realizing, Oh my gosh, I have so much work to do. Like now you're feeling that way. Yes which is really disheartening because I felt, oh, we got a kitty in the background. We got a kitty. (laughs) Yeah, so. You said so many good things. Um, First of all, it could have also been the 21-day program that helped you. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I really do think it was. Um, I think it was that you were working on yourself and you didn't have triggers. And so you bring up triggers and I think that's a good place to kind of look into. Um, I love, I wrote it down. I have to like write notes down because if you know me, I don't remember things unless I write them down. Um, And a great little quote came to me that like our triggers are our treasures, right? And like you were saying, I tell people all the time, look, you can go live in a cave in the Himalayas and meditate for eight hours every day and never see another soul and like really just work on yourself. Like that is an option. People do that. 
but if you're going to like do this modern society thing, you're going to get triggered. That's you, when you deal with other humans, we will get triggered. And it just goes back to that quote. It's like, mental health isn't about never getting triggered. It's about how am I dealing with those triggers when they come up? And it's not beating yourself up if you overreacted to someone or if you, you know, went into deep self-doubt. Yeah. It's just looking and going, oh, I just went into a lot of self-doubt when this person did X, Y, Z. How do I want to do that differently next time? Like, yeah, you know, if that's ongoing and, it, and you're, 29 or whatever. And I'm like, you're sitting there like, I realize how much work I have to do. I'm like, hi, I'm 42. And I'm just realizing I thought I dealt with it. And then the universe brings you a new challenge and it brings up new yeah. right? So it's again, the work is never done. Yeah. So it goes to show I'm never going to have this figured out either, you know? But, and that, that doesn't feel very good. Cause it's like, when you're feeling really shitty about something, you don't want to think, Oh, geez, I get this to look forward to again another time. Oh, well, yeah, we'll figure out one thing easier. and then it'll be the next thing. And yeah, it's easier. Like I can report it gets easier to handle. And I think you can like the more empowered you get within yourself, the more you handle triggers better. Yeah, I hope so. I believe I'll so. Think, I think that you are an example of that for sure. Thank you. I'm not perfect. And I hope I make that very clear to people. <laughs> yeah. So, and it is, yes, I think that I see that in you and it does just make your work so much more approachable and realistic. And it's why it just makes so much sense to me. And I can connect the dots so much better, kind of having your examples. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been reading, um, I feel like you have read the untethered soul by Michael Singer. So he has the second book, which is called living untethered. I don't know if you've read that one yet, but I'm working on the way through it right now. And I kind of just thought of this kind of what he's been talking about in our speaking about triggers. Um, He talks about how uh, we cling to experiences in our lives and we kind of hold on to them. They're called, he describes them as some samskaras. Yeah. So that's, yes. Um, So he uses that language to describe this. So it's, yeah, samskara is kind of almost like a scar on our soul, right? That we carry with us, even from like, if you believe in past lives, you can carry those past lives. And you can get them in this life too, from trauma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, I mean, he also talks about how there's positive ones that we carry with us. So he describes, you know, you have this moment where a butterfly lands on you and it is like the most beautiful experience but you cling to that experience. You don't just let it pass through your consciousness. So we have good things like that too, that essentially, yeah. So essentially the things that we, I mean, it's not like we consciously choose to cling to these, but they then become, I mean, the way that some people describe this is like a lens that you view your life through. So it's like your rose colored glasses or 
right. this lens that you're viewing your life through. And he kind of described um, our energy flow too with this. So it's been really interesting just hearing his description of it. And I think I'm able to make more sense of it because of your knowledge that you share. Um, and my, my kind of practice and learning for the years that I've been working on this. Um, and it's interesting because, um, you can block kind of, you can completely block your energy flow or you could kind of block it above the heart. So yes, you're flowing out from your heart, but you're still kind of blocking with maybe positive samskaras, you know? And so he's like, you're still kind of having a blockage and there's still this lens that is um, maybe you're letting love flow through you and that's wonderful but it's because of that experience was framed in because of the things that you've experienced does that make sense so we so the way I feel like I'm trying to understand what you're saying is like or like what my brain is reflecting to me is around feelings it's like if you're having like a really good day and Mm -hmm. my I hear my clients say this too, like, oh, I had this really good day and then I just felt really depressed and I felt really sad or I felt a lot of anxiety. And it's like, we're measuring today off of like the good day five days ago and today's not as good because I don't, I'm not, I wasn't a 10. You know what I'm like? That's how I'm interpreting what you're saying, but I'm putting it in the lens of feelings. Yes. And that goes back to, you know, me in this time, I've been finding myself comparing myself now to myself in 2020 and having that struggle of even comparison with myself, which trying not to compare with other people, but we also have to be conscious of comparison to ourselves as well. That is such a good point, Kirsten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And your 2020 version of yourself didn't have, I don't think maybe you were working, but you weren't being a nurse mm-hmm. and you had more of a, just kind of more of a flexible life at that point, right? Because you didn't have the respect, the responsibility. You didn't have bills as much as you do now. You didn't have a full-time career. Yeah. There's just all the things. Exactly. That's such a good point. I want to go back if you don't mind. Um, because you mentioned, I would, I would, I think we would like to hear like, what are some of your specific triggers and just like on a day-to-day basis, just like what people can hear. And then how does that trigger people pleasing? Cause I know I have listeners here that, <laughs> oh my gosh, my stomach. I hope you guys cannot hear that through this, like growling very loudly. <laughs> um, I know I have people here. Hello. If you're a woman you have, you're on the spectrum of people pleasing somewhere you fall. Um, so yeah, I'm curious what, what in a typical day of being a nurse, what triggers Mm -hmm. you and what triggers people pleasing? Mm. Well, I think anybody who works with people, there's always, especially in customer service related fields. So obviously healthcare is pretty customer service 
oriented. I work in an outpatient setting. So I have people coming and going for, you know, you think about going to your doctor's office. That's the setting that I work in. And so I receive all of the communications from every, everyone who calls. So say you were to call your doctor. Um, I'm receiving all of those communications from patients at the same time as trying to keep the doctor on task with their schedule with the patients who are in the office to be seen. So it can be a lot of different things happening at the same time in trying to prioritize taking care of people. And at the same time, um, we prioritize the doctor's time really because they are, we need to take care of the patients that are in the clinic kind of as top priority. Um, but at the same time, you're being distracted with all these different questions and, you know, medication refill requests and all of these different tasks at the same time. And so I can become really overwhelmed if there's too many things. And I tell myself that all of them are important and I let them all be important at the same time. And I don't give myself grace or kind of give myself a chance to breathe through it. So I'm sure we all have similar experiences in our everyday lives that are kind of create this feeling of um, overwhelm. Like you feel like your heart is racing. You feel like your jaw is tight and you are breathing shallow and you feel like your brain is just spinning. And so um, the things that I start to tell myself are like, oh, you are, you're not doing this fast enough. You're not doing this well enough. And if I let myself continue to follow that rabbit hole, I will inevitably just, um, be be my least evolved self really right and I will actually completely just fall apart and I won't be able to take care of myself or anyone else and so what I've been working on a lot lately has been just taking things one thing at a time and stepping away I think of you a lot when I am at work um because during uh, one of your retreats in Iowa last oh, yeah. September, yep. um, you had said to us, try slow. You had uh, gone yeah. on a trip to Maui, was it? Hawaii? Okay. And you were talking about how they don't have like slow signs on the road. They have try slow. Just try it. Yeah. <laughs> you would just try it. So I have to tell myself because I, it's kind of funny, you know, like when I say that to myself, I ha- kind of laugh about it because I'm like, well, I could just try it. See right. how it goes. <laughs> because part of me doesn't want to believe that that will actually work, even though I know that yeah. it does. So I have to just say, well, I could just try it and see what happens. Well, it does. It makes you kind of get, it makes you smile at the very least. Cause you're like, oh, I, like it, it was a hand hand painted signs and they're only in a few places in Kauai, but it would, you know how like, it'd be like drive slow. It's try, which kind of sound very similar. So it makes you chuckle. Cause it's like, try slow. Yeah. 
I love that that mantra comes to your mind. Yes, it's very helpful for me. Um, And that experience was really good at that time. Um, So you host in-state retreats for the state of Iowa. Mm -hmm. There's one coming up in May. Thank you for that shout out. Yeah, in (laughs) Hiawatha. I've not been to that location. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the May one work, but if I can, I will. Um, because it's a great experience and there's just so many great women who are just there to work on similar things and the energy is just beautiful. Um, food is amazing. So yeah, I think I got a lot out of that at that time and it was really good timing. I was having a lot of troubles and struggles at work. Um, just kind of with that, with myself, um, not knowing when to take a step back and slow down and was finding myself feeling really overwhelmed a lot. And I think that was a really great tool. Um, and just to step away and just be, I had my phone on airplane mode all weekend. Um, and I was just immersed with, a just so much healing. Um, so that was awesome. Yeah. It was a beautiful place. Yeah. I think I, when you just host these things and you kind of do all this stuff, you don't, I don't know. I don't know what it does for people. I don't know the, the effects that it has, you know, I just show up and do the work and, but I think it's very beneficial as like, it's a group of women, a lot, most of them don't know each other. People always get scared, like, oh, I don't know if I should go do this by myself. And I'm like, yeah, if you bring a friend, that's great too, but you're going to end up staying and talking to that friend a lot of the time. Yeah. It's really cool because everybody's there to just work on themselves. Everybody's there for healing of some form. So it is a really renewal time. I agree with that. I think that, yes, bringing a friend, great. Um, if I did bring a friend with me, I would I would want to be kind of separated in a way and like maybe not staying in the same space because um, it really just, there's magic in the, in the solitude, but like the openness of all of us being in that vulnerable position. We don't know each other and we all are just kind of showing up and a little bit nervous, but that kind of cracks you open a little bit to some great experiences. So I felt bad because I just wanted to keep talking to you and I had to remind myself she's here on her own retreat and probably needs some alone time, but I wanted to be like, Kirsten. (laughs) That was kind of hard, but I think I, yeah, I got so much out of it, even though I did know, of of course I know you, but I also felt I didn't want to, because everybody kind of, your role there is obviously, like you say, you don't know what it does to other people because your job is to be the container and hold that space for people. And I can see how people really just, you are just such a healer because they were just really gravitating towards you and really getting so much out of just one-on-one time with you or just interactions or sharing stories and it was really nice to see that in action. Oh my gosh. By the way, I paid her to say all of that. So just come to my yeah. 
<laughs> no, I should not make light of that or make a joke. That's what our family does. We're, we're big jokesters in our family, but in all honesty, like, thank you. That really means a lot. I should not play that off as a joke. She did. I did not. It's easier with that. Oh, right. It's easier to make a joke about it than to receive. But I, I am receiving that, and I'm thanking you for saying it. And it's I just think- cool to have a family member. You know, nothing against my other family members that don't do any of my stuff. But Kirsten has done a few of my things, and it's just, it's really, really so special to me. It just warms my heart that you know somebody in my family is interested in my work and is re- is receiving things from it like that's like the coolest thing ever mm-hmm. it's it's so nice to though have that and I think it's for me it is an easier way for me to approach the healing because there's a comfort in having you be part of it right um, so that has kind of bridged the gap for me to kind of grow in different ways and now as we were talking before this started but now I've been seeing a therapist and, you know, I think that I don't, I wouldn't have been able to do that. That was kind of a hard decision for me to make, which seems really silly because it's not, I don't, I love therapy and I'm like, why is it such a hard, that was the thing for me to unravel really was to decide that that was a next step for me because I think it's just hard for me to ask for help. Right. Mm-hmm. And you had to be that strong one for people. The I like to call it the emotional support animal for those around you. Yeah, I'm just yeah. so glad you are because I wished I had started therapy. I wish I had done that when I was younger. You know, I think it all happens when it's supposed to. But yeah, I'm. I I don't want to say jealous. I don't like the word jealous, but I'm just happy that you have, like, you have levels of awareness. I had nowhere nearly touched at your age. So um, that is something to be grateful for. But for those of you listening, like maybe you're 60 and you're going, I'm just now learning this stuff. Okay. Better that than when you're 80, right? Like Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't, the timeline doesn't matter. It's just when you're ready, like, I picked up a book that I've known about since before I moved, when I was living in Los Angeles. So probably since 2012 or 13, 14, something like that, probably 13. I've known about this book since 2013, actually owned it on my phone, but I am not a phone book reader. Like it was a Kindle thing. And I was like, well, I'd already purchased it on there. So I'm not going to purchase like the actual book. Cause that's silly. Why would I do that? And I'd read part of it. Well, I got into it and it's called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Joe Dispenza, if anybody's curious. And I'm like, if I had been doing this for that many years, my life would be so different. Like, Erin, what the hell? Like, why haven't you been doing that? Oh my God. And it's like, I thought about it. I'm like, I was not ready to like, I would have read it and I would have not absorbed the information. Whereas this time it's like, Every element in my life is like saying the same thing. And I get it so deeply that like, I wouldn't have to, I don't have to reread this book because it is now in there. Right. So I just think when you're ready, it happens. Yeah. I think about that all the time. And like I said, with, with untethered soul, 
Michael Singer. I don't know that I absorbed all of it, but I got what I could out of it at the time that I read it. And now I just think that's true of all things. And um, I think that everything comes to us when it needs to and what we need to read or hear, we hear when we need to. And I, I do kind of a fun thing sometimes. Well, I'm actually working my way through Mary Oliver still I'm working on her awesome. best poems. So I heard one time, I think I shared this with you that um, reading a poem is like opening a door to the divine. Mm, I love that. So I think of that when I open up the book and I just read like one poem and I'm like, okay, we're opening up the door to the divine. And a lot of times I'll, I'll read something that just really strikes me in the poem or you know, and then I open my, my books that I'm reading, like nonfiction books that I'm reading and the, I'll read one chapter and it'll be what I need to hear that day. Or maybe it won't be that particular day, but you get what you need to out of these things. And then if you just pay attention or if you just look for things, people will say the things that you need to hear. Even with just my everyday interactions with patients, sometimes Maybe I'm saying the things that they needed to hear, but totally we will do that with each other. And so if you just look at your interactions like that too, I think that can help with taking away the overwhelm of, you know, when I'm in this moment with these people, the most important thing we can do is kind of share this time and everything else will be fine. We'll get it done. Right. But maybe we'll share between the two of us when I'm taking care of a patient in office. Maybe we'll both take care of each other in that moment. Totally. I think angels come in so many forms. And I I really believe that the divine, even people that aren't spiritual, you know, like you might be, you know, at a pawn shop or something and somebody just says something and it's like, that's exactly what you needed to hear. Right. It's like, I really think the divine like comes through people in ways and makes them speak in ways that they're like, maybe they don't even normally say that, but they're just like, ah, and it's like, whoa, I just needed to hear that. So yeah, angels are in many different forms. Yeah. And I think the more we look for it, the more we find it. Yeah. Everything is about your belief. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. We're going in so many wonderful. (laughs) I know directions and I love this conversation you guys are probably like oh my gosh Kirsten she's like a little wise you're like a wise old soul oh, in a thank nine-year-old's body <laughs> I, love it. I love it um and here I'm like let's pull you let's go back to people please let's pull let's go back into the mud <laughs> um, yeah we should I'm all up here <laughs> I think people are going to get so many messages like that's what I think is cool like well people will like message me or I'll see them somewhere and they'll be like I got this from the podcast and it was like nothing what it was about like sometimes things just hit you know just like I was just saying like sometimes you hear they might they're going to get more from like the things you talk about like a little message it's going to spark something we don't know we don't know mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it but showing up like what you chose to do is show up and be vulnerable here today. And that 
that's, there's power in that. There's purpose in that. And that's, that's the beautiful thing. So I always have so much gratitude to all my guests that come on because this is like, it's kind of vulnerable um, in a lot of ways to talk about this stuff. And yeah. Yeah. You do it all the time. (laughs) Oh, I know. Sometimes I'm like, was that an overshare? <laughs> like this week's podcast, I'm like, there's a few overshares in there. I'm like, mm, I almost didn't post it, but it's coming out today. I think. Listen to it. <laughs> be good. No, I always get <laughs> out of it. I love it when you get to that level. I think that that really, when you feel like that, I think there's something to be said about somebody needs to hear that. I just pushed myself. I, but I honestly was like, really not going to, I was like, yeah, that I just needed to emote that. That was just for me. Yep. We're not going to post that one. No, that was good. Got it out. Oh my gosh. I think of Brene Brown and her vulnerability hangovers. I don't know if that's what you're going through after that. My book is going to be, I think that's why it's taking me so long to write it. Cause that's going to be, that's going to be a vulnerability. I can see how that's big block. Yeah. Yeah. We're working through that. And I bet the people pleasing kind of comes through because there's probably some things <clears throat> that are hard to say that are just true. She clears her throat. <laughs> You're like, <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kirsten and I, the reason I keep pulling her back to people pleasing, one is because I know a lot of you here have those struggles. And I think we do as women, it's part of our society. In fact, there's, I think there's a book on that too. I've not read it, but I've heard about it, but it's, it's called the, the overgiver syndrome. Like this author kind of quote, coined it, the overgiver syndrome and how it's just part of our society as women that we be selfless, you know, that we give and caretake to all of those around us you know if you're a mom which Kirsten and I are not but if you are it's like you've got to be the super mom the super worker the super you know and there's all these pressures and so I think it's just always poignant to talk about people pleasing because it's just a thread in our society that is starting to come unraveled but it's definitely very strong still and I know, you know, if you've been around here, you know that I struggle with people pleasing and it's come up again for me recently. I'll share that in another podcast. But anyway, that's why I kind of keep pulling Kirsten back to people pleasing. Mm-hmm. It is so, such a thing. And, and I, we were talking before this, you know, our grandmother, it's, it's in our blood, you know, like we, our grandmother, bless her soul you know like that's all she did and I I have a podcast just about her story too but that is literally all she did and so we were kind of talking and maybe this is where we should go next Kirsten it's like yeah is this who we are like the is part of this who we are obviously people pleasing is a trauma response it's from the fawn trauma response it's a survival mechanism of you needed to appease the people around you in order to survive just on a real basic level. And so, yes, it's a trauma response. On the other side of that, like I was telling Kirsten, I believe that spiritually we are kind of entrained in these environments 
because we are the natural healers, the natural caretakers of this earth, of the people of this earth. So I'm curious, Kirsten, let's just leave that there. And um, what do you want to say to that? Because I think that brings up a good conversation. Yes. Um, yeah, I agree with that completely, that we just somehow we we experienced the things that we experienced growing up so that we could um, become what we needed to become and what we were meant to become so that we could bring our gifts to the earth. Um, so that's a whole other path to go down, but people pleasing, uh, it's just, it's tough because it really just kind of in, impermeates every bit of your life. It's like the constant unraveling. It's like you said, you felt like this was something that you had worked through a lot and it was heavy and it was really hard for you to work through. And now it's like coming up again. And it's, this is the unraveling. It's like what you're talking about. It's like layers of, okay, I got through those layers and now another kind of different aspect of it has come up. And um, I was telling you that I felt like, ugh, did I choose my career path because I was traumatic, like in this trauma response. Right. Is such a powerful question, Kirsten. Sorry to interrupt you. I think that is such a powerful no. And I have shared this before. Like when you start to heal trauma, you start to realize that your whole freaking life and personality was like based on survival. And that's really fucking hard to like accept. Yeah. So I think you questioning your nursing career. So keep going. But I just wanted to have that. No, I love that thought that you just it really helps me kind of get on track with this because it I've questioned that and I will continue to and before we pressed record on this we were talking about how you have to just sit with yourself and your feelings though when you are when you are doing these because of course caring for people and people pleasing are very similar behaviors right or maybe they are the same behaviors but as I mentioned earlier before we press record is like you have to sink into your body and realize the intention behind the action to understand if it's people pleasing or if it's just uh, you being a caring person. Because I think that that's kind of the scary part of this that I get fearful of is that I don't, I don't want to lose the caring part of who I am. And I can struggle with that because part of me wants to just completely reject my people pleasing tendencies so that I can heal because I feel like that's how I will heal, but that's not true. And there's so much grief and feeling like, Oh, do I have to lose this beautiful part of me in order to heal from that response? And I don't think, I don't think I have to, um, but it's complicated. It's <laughs> so we don't have an easy answer. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, we don't. It's I going to just said. unfold. Um, you said it's that was kind of that thought. So, do you have okay. anything to add to that? Well, I want to like just highlight what you said again because it's important. Is this people pleasing or am I a caring person? And 
what my intuition wants to speak to on that is, and you were like, are they the same? I want to say no. And from like a trauma informed perspective, I would say, no, they are not the same. Like people pleasing means literally what people pleasing means is losing your sense of self because you, you get your value, you get your identity to a certain extent in what you do for other people. And so, okay, yes, that sounds like caretaking, right? Cause it's like, okay, so I see the, I see the intertwining here, right? So it's like, okay, if I'm a nurse and I'm caring for these people, then like, I know who I am because that's what I am. I'm a caregiver. But I think people pleasing has this like murky edge to it. It's like, for me, like if I really tune in and like, that's a whole part of somatic work, right? Is like really tuning into your body. Maybe just let's all do this together. So if you're driving, don't close your eyes, but like, just close your eyes and think about the most recent time you people please. So Kirsten, give me a little thumbs up when you've got that. And I've definitely got mine because it's front and center of what I'm dealing with. And I just want you to feel like, where do you feel that in your body? Like, what does it feel like? If you were to describe it to me, like, I had no idea what you're talking about. Like, what does it feel like? Sorry, I'm really putting you on the spot here. No, it's okay. I feel like my, uh, for me, it's like my neck, my shoulders, my upper body is just very tight. My jaw is tight. Shallow breath. Like this anxiety response almost. Similar, like almost a panic. It's like I'm losing myself. If that makes sense. Yeah, I totally feel that. Losing control. Mm -hmm. How does it feel for you? I feel it in my chest too. It just feels heavy, kind of makes my shoulders round. It's like, well, my situation right now is like, oh, I've got to do this thing. So that this person will like me in a way. This person will like, what is it really? Let's see. It's, I have to appease this person because this is what they want me to do. That's more of what it is. I need to do this thing that's going to really jeopardize me and my energy and my work and all this stuff. But it's what I, it's what this person, I know this person wants me to do. So I need to jeopardize myself. I need to put myself in a precarious position in order to, so you see where it is, it's in order to please this person. It has it, so I take myself out of the equation. It doesn't matter, Erin, if you feel bad. It's about, so I'm seeing you in getting all these messages and then having a waiting room full of people and you're going, yeah, but I got to return these messages right away. Oh, but this person needs to go see the doctor. Oh, but the doctor needs me to do this. And like, oh, you know, you're going like that all the time. And so it's not like, hmm, I don't know, there's like a lot coming through for this. So I'm just kind of closing my eyes here for a moment and tuning in. So what I feel like, I feel like people pleasing is this, is this external thing. We're trying literally we're trying to please others. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. But it's, it's, but it's literally like this pull from outside of ourselves. Whereas Mm -hmm. caretaking, I can be grounded within myself and 
sit here with you and talk about what's going on in your life and help you through things. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, yeah, going, what's going through my mind the whole time is that I'm going to do this action so that you think of me, so that you think of me a certain way. What goes through my mind as you're talking about all of the things that you were saying that I go through on a daily basis that we were talking about, there's all these different things. And all I was thinking about during that was, what will they think of me? What will they think of me? What will they think of me? Oof, chills. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's like, what will 75 people think of me at the same time? (laughs) So it's an impossible thing. And if we're making it in the context of your work situation, they're not thinking of you, Kirsten. They're thinking of your, whatever you work for, Mercy or whatever, hospital. You know, they're thinking of the, that is what they're thinking of. They're not like, oh, that Kirsten, she's such a irresponsible human being. Yes. And I, I personalize mean, myself with that and get myself in trouble. But that's what it always comes down to. So many times as I've been working through this is it always comes down to me having the thought of what will, what will they, whoever they may be, think of me if I do or don't act in a certain way. And that is a real ooh, red flag for me to go, ooh, I need to pay attention to that. That's people pleasing, right? That's the difference between caretaking because like my therapist always talks about, I get to versus I have to. People pleasing is I have to in order to get your respect, your love, you know, because when we didn't get love, when we didn't get a, a full attachment as a a healthy attachment as a child, and we learn to develop people pleasing in order to get, and love is such a vague term, right? To get attention sometimes. Like maybe that's when Mm -hmm. you go to the back is when you did a good thing for mom or dad. And and when we learned that, I don't know where I was going with that thought, totally just went away on air. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, But when we learn that, it, it, yeah, it just creates this external sense of self, like myself. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to put this back into what I, where I was, I had a point, you guys, I had a freaking point. (laughs) Um, yeah, you'll think of me a certain way. It's all about that. That's people pleasing versus caretaking is like, I get to versus I have to, I get to caretake versus I have to, in order to make you like me. Mm-hmm. Love me. I don't know if this is helpful to your thought, but it's like, when we are children, we are, we do have to believe that it's almost like we believe that we can control what everybody thinks of us. We actually do believe that we have magical thinking. It's part of our development as children. And so this is where the patterns come from. So we have to be really easy on ourselves with that as well. I have to think about that. A lot of the patterns, regardless of your childhood experience, any experience that you have in childhood could create this magical thinking pattern at that age, because we do literally believe that we control the outcomes that surround us. And so if you're in an experience of, you know, in my childhood home, there was a lot of really, um, uncertain attachment. Yes. Um, which I, 
maybe you, I think you've kind of expressed that you experienced that with your attachment to your mom. And this was with my mom as well. It was a very, Sorry, I'm giggling. Like I've expressed more than that, Kirsten. <laughs> it was a very precarious attachment. And yeah. so my child brain rightfully so thought I am somehow in control of this outside person attaching to me when Which, it's by the way you need for you're wired to survive through that person so all of this happens it's, biologically keep going exactly and um and so you at that time are thinking oh i because of whatever the circumstance may be you might have done something that day and now this person is not attaching to you which is as we know as adults it's it's completely probably unrelated to me as a child but my child mind believed that i did some sort of action yes. to have then not bit, not received my need for attachment with my caregiver or vice versa and Perhaps it was your I fault did. it was your yes. fault we even go so far as to believe it's our fault if they're in a bad mood Exactly. And, and then the opposite happens. So say, you know, you went to school and you got a good grade and for whatever reason, and really not related again, we know as adults that children getting an A at school is really not related to the way that we attach to them as mature adults, but maybe that's what I did that day. And maybe I received attachment that particular day. Right. And so it creates these patterns of believing that certain behaviors will result in that attachment. attention, that love, that, yeah. Because mm-hmm, it's all the same. Attention, love, it's at that time, getting our needs met is everything we need for survival. So Making the person happy. Oh, they're in a good mood today because I got the A. So if I mm-hmm. get the A's, I'll be safe. That's a simple, that is the, the, it could be that basic in how we wire, how we get wired as children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I you broke that down really well. It's called being egocentric. When we're children, we're egocentric, meaning everything that happens is because of us. Like we just see the eye. Mm-hmm. This person's upset. It's because I did something wrong. This person's happy. It's because I did something right. And it's so black or white. And so that's why we really can't get mad at these patterns because they were just sur- wired survivally. Survivally, that's not even a word, but it is now. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, there's just, there's so much there, but I think you broke that down really well. People are going to be able to understand that better. I'm glad. <laughs> yes. I loved that def- that definition. That was very clear. So let's just go back to that one more second. Like, let's hit that home run here with people pleasing. I'm going to do this action so you will think a certain way about me. Because I need you to think a certain way about me so that I can stay safe is ultimately what people pleasing comes down to. If you think that I'm a bad person, you may reject me and therefore abandon me. And I don't, I can't have that happen because that will trigger me to my extreme, right? Yep. So that is the basis of, I think we boiled that down to the basis of people pleasing. Like I'm going to do this action. So you think a certain way about me. So 
for those of us listening, okay, the next time that we feel that feeling, I always say your feelings are your parameter of whether you're in or out of alignment with your truth. You are able to pinpoint where you feel that feeling, how it makes you feel. And so that's going to be your alarm bell, maybe to know when you've crossed over into that in the future. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that your somatic work that you're doing now is so important to that as, and I have been slowly working into my preparation for this. This is not something that I've been working on yet because I have not been prepared for it, but I can find myself getting ready for it. So I find that I have been really thinking a lot and a lot in my brain and not in my emotions and to be in our emotions. We can't, we can't think these things through. We have to feel them in our bodies. So I don't know if I did a good job of explaining the samskaras earlier, but essentially we have these lenses that we're viewing our lives through when our energy flow hits that comes against to that resistance of that thing that we've clung to. Right. Or the lens that we view things through. It creates projection would be another word. Like I project like the people pleasing is a a samskara, right? It's like, I have to do things a certain way. So you like me. So you treat me kindly. So I say back to that example. So I get into this situation at work where I am being triggered in that way because of this really complex set of feelings that I have built up to create this reaction that is people pleasing. I get triggered in that way and I can't think my way through that though. And so I'm learning now as I go and I'm getting experience with paying more attention to this because I spend a lot of time in my mind and I can express things to you and explain this, but unless I can feel it in my body, which is something that I have need to that is my next step. Hmm. But again, all of these things are happening in the time that they need to happen for me. And I can feel that that is my next step that's coming because I've been thinking all of this through and without the feeling it in my body, I can't fully complete that loop. I can't. Mm. Um, mm. I got to snap that. I got to snap clap that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, keep talking to that because you're giving me a lot of insight here about people not well, <laughs> Yeah. So I think that feelings are scary. Yeah. So we just talked about how the red flag is I, what will they think of me? That's a thought pattern. That's a red flag. But there's feelings that are going on in my body that I, I can't really explain fully because I haven't been in tune with my body as much as. I feel that I'll need to, to fully begin healing this, but, um, at this, so with our energy flow is it's trying to make its way through our body. It's just trying to take a a free flow. It wants to flow. It just wants to go through our bodies and come out and be an expression to the world or, um, inspire us in our minds. And when it hits this people-pleasing, maybe resistance or projection or lens that we're talking about, um, 
not only maybe are these thoughts created, but emotions are created and emotions then can trigger more thoughts or more feelings of kind of chaos. Because in those moments, my body is feeling really dysregulated. And I can say that I know it's like shallow breathing again. It's like this anxiety response. It's this panic response, shallow breathing, tight muscles. Um, It feels very chaotic in my body. And then there's chaotic thoughts happening. Right. And getting into your body to allow that the emotion to flow through the body itself um, is how it has to work its way out. So some of the practices that you are working on at the moment and that you've shared have been life-changing for you. I think this is why I think this is the piece of the puzzle that we don't always look at because we want to think our way through. We want to read the book. That's right. Oof, you're bringing up so many good points. I think that's good. <laughs> yeah, I just think that's why this has been so life-changing for you. For sure. I, and that's exactly been the missing piece of my puzzle. And I believe all of our puzzles because I was reading all the books. I was even doing the mindset work and the energy work and all the works and the yoga. And yet my body was exhibiting symptoms that nobody could understand, including myself. It's like, okay, I'm even my doctor. I was at my doctor's yesterday. I'm like, I eat 90% well. Okay. 5% of me, you know, I go to the occasional Chick-fil-A. Like, I'm not going to lie. But I have moments, you know, I don't really drink, but I do sometimes, but like, 90%, 95% of the time I eat really well. I work out and I don't drink or smoke. Mm-hmm. Nothing can explain why I was having such degrees of like absolute no motivation and chronic fatigue. And the doctor is just like, okay, here's an antidepressant. Let's do that. You know, and nothing. Anyway, you guys know all my story about that, but Yeah, it was like, it wasn't until I started going in and letting my system release some of this stuck trauma from being dysregulated, as you talk about, that I was able to heal. And so, but I find it curious, like, you've given me some insight into my nervous system program, because it's not like it's not, I thought it would be flying off, like, in other words, flying off the shelves. Cause I'm like, you guys, like, I'm trying to scream it from the rooftops. Everybody needs to do this, but you're giving me a lot of insight. It's fucking scary. And even people that are in the program, a dear friend of mine that's in the program, Julie, she was like, I watched a couple videos and I just, I, I'm not ready for that yet. Like she has not dove back in because she's like, I know when I do, XYZ is going to have to change. And I'm like, I find that so interesting. So maybe I need a, even a babier step into nervous system. Cause what you're saying maybe. is that's maybe not a bad idea. Cause what you're saying is like to really act, to get out of your head when we're so used to being analytical, myself included, like you, you're regurgitating, like you sound like a textbook explanation of all these things and as you said you're still suffering because you haven't maybe integrated it embodied it within your body it's just it's living here versus being integrated mm-hmm. into the body 
it's very scary. It's very yeah, scary. and we're not taught. We're not. Yeah, I think it's scary because we've never been taught. We were the school of of our lives has been, you know, learning, memorizing in our brains, and we're not taught about this these things. And um, I I don't know how we prepare for it. I, I just feel that I'm becoming closer to being ready for it. So I'll see you soon there. Um, but it's just been, it's almost like you have to really analyze this, what you've been going through and realize that whatever we're doing isn't working because, you know, last year I ran a half marathon. I was feeling well and I was running every day. Well, not every day, but I was training for many, many miles um, on a weekly basis. I ran this half marathon. I felt incredible the whole time. I was smiling for 13.1 miles. I had a blast. It was amazing. Um, Shortly after, I took a trip to California, went to Yosemite, did a big hike there, felt amazing. And it's like my body knew that this felt wonderful. But at the same time, I was struggling with kind of the continued extra response, like new responsibilities at work and all of these experiences with me transitioning into having been a full-time employee at this, at this job and continuing to understand what that means and what the responsibilities are for me and learning what my boundaries are with it. And so I fell into kind of a, an emotionally really difficult time. And what was interesting was at the same time, when I went back out to go take a run, I couldn't run two miles when I had just run 13 two weeks prior. Whoa. That's interesting. Yeah. It was. Almost like the weight of the emotional stuff was just like mm-hmm. weighing you down. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that has been something that I've had to kind of watch occurring um, to understand that there's something else that I need to do here. I and think so- all the right things. I do. Mm-hmm. And there is no rush to get into somatic work. No, but, but I, I think, think we all need to at some point when we're ready. And I think that, yeah, that's just, a, that's good information for me. And maybe I'll create yeah, or, a pre-nervous system reset. <laughs> Well, I wonder too, if it's just that we need to start to consider it. We just need to start knowing that that's an option. So I think that your work with it is important because just knowing that that is, and again, we, nobody teaches us about this. And so you're, you're one of the teachers who can show us how this can take us to the next step as we unravel this oh my goodness this conversation we could keep going all day but I feel yeah. like we oh it's 11 11 so let's just make a little wish it's always good numbers um I we I think we've definitely been at an hour and I try to keep these around that time and it feels like a natural closing it does yeah I feel like we've covered a lot in this amount of time together So I always like to just end, and you have shared so much wisdom, Kirsten, already, but I just like to always end with guests, like, 
what would you tell somebody who's in the middle of like a really tough time right now? Like what's, what's your advice? Hmm. Oh, you need to rest. You need to just be with yourself in, and I say this knowing that I can find myself doing this. You have to set the phone down. You can't be scrolling because that's not, yes, you're in silence, but you're not with yourself in those moments. Mm. You have to just, yeah. You could pick up a book of poetry. I think that's okay. Or you could pick up a book um, and just read and reflect, but you have to spend time with yourself to understand what you need. And it's probably rest is a good start. Trying slow. Try slow. And being gentle with yourself. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All such good points. And it, and it's really like, it's the hardest thing, right? Like that's what you want to distract your, I still do it to this day. Like, yeah, it's the last thing I want to do when I'm in the middle of a storm is like sit and be with myself. And I've avoided journaling for a long time, but I'm kind of forcing myself to get back into doing some journaling, but I'm, I'll be the first to say I freaking resist the hell out of journaling. Like, cause there's something that probably my inner being wants to express with me that I'm like, what's that going to mean? Right. It just goes back to Julian, like not wanting to do the nervous system thing. Right. Cause it's like, what am I going to have to change if I start listening to that inner voice? That's, that's the scary part. I think you're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Usually we have to make a big choice. Yeah. And if we go back to talking about childhood, we used these things as protection. So there's a part of us that, as you've said in the past, I think too, it feels like death. It feels very terrifying to let go of this protection. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to happen fast. You just have to try slow and be gentle. Baby steps and rest. I love that. That is the best advice. Also feels like death though, but <laughs> take a personal health day, man. Like just take a day mm-hmm. off and be like, I'm calling in sick today. I'm taking a mental health day. Like mm-hmm. freaking do that. Do that for yourself. <laughs> Send it outside. Yes. Heal you. Hmm. It was a pleasure having you here, Kirsten. Thank you for being vulnerable. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. All right. If you want any extra support with any of this, obviously you can email me, reach out to me at Pure Light Healing on Instagram, Facebook, or even TikTok and shoot me a message. Uh, Obviously my nervous system reset program is available if you're ready. And it's always, I don't want to say always available, but it is available right now. And who knows, maybe there'll be a pre-nervous system reset. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you liked this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. If you would like to connect with me more, you can find my website, my services, and my social media links all in the description of this episode. Remember, you are a beautiful and divine and powerful being. And it's time to own it.